This week in KMA Land, courthouse boiler replacement discussion boils over. How Shenandoah's outdoor pool season was saved. Glenwood Pool opens after a year's absence. Another pipeline project debate in Montgomery County. Shen School Board reviews K-8 test scores. And Clarenda School Board reviews facility feedback. I'm Mike Peterson. Action on a proposed replacement of the Page County Courthouse's boilers remains at a standstill. At its regular meeting Thursday evening, the county's Board of Supervisors took no action on the purchase of two new boilers and control systems. Supervisor Judy Clark motioned to use the county's American Rescue Plan Act funding to cover Siemens' quote of $208,173, but the motion died for lack of a second. Making a plea for the new boilers' purchases, Clark says the existing boilers were installed before the December 1991 fire that destroyed the courthouse and run the risk of failing. As of this last winter and probably before, the boilers would not work with only one. They will not heat the building. Boilers call for 180-degree water temperature to heat the building. If it's 30 degrees outside, the water temperature only reached 125 degrees, running both boilers. It's not enough. At last year's inspection, the boilers failed because they are no longer up to fire code, while still toward the end of their life and have a high probability of unplanned failure. Clark says the county's ARPA committee felt the boiler replacement fell within the funding's original purposes for investment in a critical infrastructure that can be targeted for a strategically important long-term assets that provide benefits for many years. She says Siemens' price is only good until July 1st. It's June 15th, and we have until July 1st to make a decision, and the sooner we make it, the better. It's been on the table for months. I kept bringing it up time after time after time, and you kept coming up with different excuses. You've talked to so-and-so and so-and-so. This is a building that is not a school building or a hospital building. This is a courthouse. It's three floors. It's a huge building. It's a historic building. Do we want to take a chance of major damage if the boilers go bad and the pipes freeze? Supervisors Chair Jacob Holmes argued that ARPA guidelines have been changed, and he reiterated his desire for that funding to be used for fixing county roads. Holmes also wants to examine whether the county's local option sales tax funding is available for the boilers and suggested money budgeted for courthouse maintenance could also be used. I don't think we know where the money comes from tonight. We've got to figure out where we're taking money from. I, if there's ARPA money can be used on roads, I want to go to the roads. If we can get the money from somewhere else, we'll move. Because things have to go in the category. Sales tax money, you can't just put roads. It doesn't work. It has to go exactly in the category it does make sense. So we need to see what that, how much is sitting there that can be spent on the Supervisor Todd Mayher declined to second Clark's motion, saying he wants all the facts laid out before voting on the purchase. I would like to see what money is available to be spent and then figure out how we can supplement it okay. and not take it off the radar. I think it's important. I think we need to do something before something bad happens. And you sure don't want to be the person sitting here and something bad happens. Earlier, the board took no action on Page County Conservation's proposal to use ARPA money for tree removal from Pierce Creek Dam. Holmes again stated he's waiting for information from the Iowa State Association of Counties as to whether the COVID relief dollars could be used for road repairs. Thursday night's meeting, which lasted nearly two and a half hours, again featured considerable discussion on how the supervisor's meeting minutes are recorded and published.
Imagine a summer without an outdoor pool. We learned this week just how close Shenandoah came to that reality and how teamwork from city department heads solved problems with Shenandoah's Wilson Aquatic Center, allowing it to open last Friday. Councilman Kim Swank is liaison with the city's Park and Recreation Board. During his report near the end of the regular meeting, Swank relayed the Park Board's gratitude to the city's water and wastewater departments for troubleshooting the pool's problems. They had their biggest pump that does all the recirculation going on out there go out, and it was going to take six to eight weeks to fix that thing. And that would have pretty much shut the pool down for the summer. But thanks to our talented water and wastewater department, they figured a way around it. Shenandoah Mayor Roger McQueen elaborated more on the situation in an interview on KMA's Morning Line program Wednesday morning. McQueen says the main problem involved a malfunctioning pump. When this major pump went out, it was a game changer for the fact that if we did not find a way to get this going, the pool would not have been open this summer. I just cannot say enough about the wastewater plant and the water plant. All those guys came together. Among other things, McQueen says the city departments gained access to a crane to lift the pump out of the pump house. This happened on a Friday, Thursday or Friday. We got a crane down here on Monday. I actually had to cut a hole in the roof of the pump house. They had to lift that out. You cannot believe how big this thing is. It was sent to Des Moines to uh, get rebuilt. But because of the ingenuity of these guys, they came up with a plan of how to reroute these pipes, run it to a secondary pump. Luckily, the filtration worked when they went down and did the, uh, I guess, back flush or whatever. Everything worked perfectly. Swank, however, says the park board is concerned that the 25-year-old pool is reaching the end of its lifespan and question how many more Band-Aids the facility can withstand. That's why it's calling for the formation of a committee to examine the pool's future. The five that are on the park board think that's too big a job for them. I think they kind of collectively said they would like to see a committee made up uh, to see whether that Shenandoah wanted a pool. It's not like the water and sewer plan. It's not a necessity. It is a, it is a want, uh, and it is a costly thing. So they want to know if uh, the city actually wants one, what kind of pool they'd want if they want one, where we would put it, and how we would pay for it. McQueen says at least 8 to 10 people from a wide spectrum of the city's population are needed to serve on the committee. You're going to have to have people with water knowledge, so I would like to see somebody from the water department or something like that on there. Uh, but then also, you know, get some uh, get some citizens uh, that would have uh, input into it, uh, what they would look for and so, uh, so on. Opened in 1998, the Wilson Aquatic Center replaced an older facility that was, at the time, the second largest pool in Iowa. In other business, the council unanimously approved the second readings of amendments to city ordinances increasing water and sewer rates. By a 3-2 to two vote, the council rejected a motion to waive the water rate hike's third reading, meaning it will take place at the council's next regular meeting June 27th. No motion was made on waiving the sewer rate adjustment's third reading. Earlier, we talked about not having an outdoor pool for an entire summer. Well, patrons of the Glenwood Outdoor Aquatic Center experienced that unfortunate situation when mechanical problems, similar to those with Shenandoah's pool, kept the facility's gates closed in the summer of 2022. Not this summer. After repairs of issues discovered last year and this spring, the Glenwood Pool opened for the 2023 season Monday afternoon. Glenwood City Administrator Amber Farnan tells KMA News patrons were waiting in line when the gates opened. Everything went. 
went according to plan, opened the doors for open swim at 1 o'clock. We had a line. We also were selling pool passes at the pool yesterday, and we had a good line going. It was pretty steady most of the day. So, yeah, everything went really well. Didn't have any real big issues that came up. So, yeah, we were really pleased with the start of our pool season. Farnan was asked about the pool's current condition now that it's open. I would say it's in really good working condition. I think there will be some repairs that we come back and do again in the fall after we close and maintenance things. But other than that, it's in, it's in good working order and ready to go. Farnan thanks the community for its patience in the city's troubleshooting the facility's problems. I know it's been a trying couple years and we are as excited as anybody else to have the pool open and running and we are very appreciative of our public works department who really put a, a lot of work into the pool to make sure that it was up and running. Glenwood's pool is open daily from 1 to 8 p.m. through August 20th or 21st with adult lap swimming from noon to 1 p.m. It's also open August 26th and 27th and Labor Day weekend from 1 to 6 p.m. pending staff availability. For more information, check the City of Glenwood's website. Montgomery County was the setting for another showdown regarding the contentious carbon pipeline project. Presentations from proponents and opponents of Summit Carbon Solutions' proposed Midwest Express Pipeline highlighted Tuesday morning's County Board of Supervisors meeting. Riley Gibson of Turnkey Logistics, the company representing Summit, updated the supervisors on the project, which would stretch more than 700 miles of western Iowa, including Montgomery County. Gibson says about 75% of the easements necessary for the pipeline have been secured, representing 13.4 miles. Additionally, about $4.6 million in easement payments have been issued in Montgomery County. Gibson also dealt with what he called misconceptions coming from the pipeline and Hazardous Material Safety Administration's two-day meeting in Des Moines two weeks ago. He says one misconception is that pipelines aren't regulated. There's currently 5,000 miles of CO2 pipelines uh, existing in the United States. That number is expected to go up a little bit. Speculation to how much, but they've been in operation for 40 years, maybe over 40 years in some instances. Gibson adds pipelines are also regulated by not only PHMSA, but also the Iowa Utilities Board, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. Gibson's report followed comments from one of many local residents concerned about the project. In her report regarding the PHMSA conference, West Township resident Jan Norris discussed how panelists outlined the dangers of CO2 pipelines during various presentations. Multiple times they brought up, panelists brought up, this is not your grandparents' pipeline. This poses a unique risk. They have advice to counties, pass what you can and enforce it. If it's not legal, the company can file in court. Generally, states can pass more stringent than FIMSA can. I don't know why setback and zoning interferes with company. You must insist on your own safety. Don't let the company put monetary value above your safety. Despite Norris's comments, Supervisors Chair Mike Olson reiterated remarks made at previous meetings that the IUB has control over pipeline projects, not the supervisors. We don't have any control if that pipeline goes in or doesn't go in. That is not under our jurisdiction. It is up to the IUB and the state of Iowa and the federal government if that pipeline goes in at this time. Well, now, we're not going to argue about it. I'm just going to say this, and I've said it 25 times. You keep coming and you keep uh, preaching to us that we've got to stop this. We can't stop it. And if ethanol goes or doesn't, that's beside the point. The point is you're taking up the county's time all the time to keep preaching the same rhetoric, the same narrative 
that we could stop this, and we can. Olson later indicated he doesn't want to enter into litigation with a pipeline company and potentially lose hundreds of millions of dollars in county revenue with legal fees. Another resident, Barb Nelson, called on the supervisors to pass an ordinance regulating pipeline projects. No one is here saying that we can stop the pipeline, but we can make it safer for everybody involved. And we have an ordinance that's been ready to be voted on, to be brought back to this committee to this Board of Supervisors, so I'm urging you to do that. No action has been taken on a proposed ordinance since a public hearing on the matter earlier this year. Additionally, the IOB has yet to schedule a public hearing on Summit's application for the proposed pipeline. Shenandoah school officials are noting substantial gains in the latest standardized test scores for kindergarten through eighth graders. At its regular meeting late Monday afternoon, the Shenandoah School Board heard a report on the Iowa Statewide Assessment of Student Progress for K-8 through grade and the Florida Assessment of Student Thinking Scores for K-6. through Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Tuesday morning, Shenandoah School Superintendent Dr. Carrie Nelson says the scores indicated tremendous growth in math and English language arts testing through the elementary and middle school grades. That includes in the English language arts area, you know, 40-point growth in English language arts for fourth grade. That's quite nice. You know, fifth grade was a little bit more modest. It was, you know, 12-point. But when you look at, you know, our fourth graders grew 40. The sixth grade grew 36 and you start looking at that, and we'll post this on our website so people can look at it in a little more in depth. Even in the grade levels where it was more modest gains, which would be fifth and eighth grade, our fourth, sixth, and seventh graders just knocked it out of the park. Nelson attributes the improved test scores to several factors, including a post-COVID learning rebound. I really believe our teachers have appreciated a year with far less interruptions and disruptions from COVID, and that's given them the opportunity to have their students on a more regular basis to not have so many kids in quarantine. The superintendent also credits the district's instructors and curricula for the improvement. We have stronger curriculum and most certainly I would say our teachers have really taken the time in professional learning to look at the data, to look at strategies that may work and to focus in on areas where they need to put their energy. Nelson says the FAST scores, which measure reading comprehensive, also indicated signs of growth. Clarinda school officials continue to refine the district's building plans in the wake of a bond issue defeat earlier this year. Officials with SiteLogic, the district's facility project consultants, reviewed the results of a survey and four listing sessions in a special work session with the Clarinda School Board following its regular meeting late Wednesday afternoon. Clarinda School Superintendent Jeff Privia tells KMA News the survey and meetings followed voters' rejection of a $14 million bond issue and voted physical plant and equipment levy for a myriad of facilities improvements. What we did during the, those two periods is what does the community want and what we really gathered out of that is the community wants us to do something just not quite on the same large scale that we had planned the first time. So it's encouraging to know that the community wants us to move forward and actually we are doing that with the high school addition that we'll be coming out with here pretty soon, adding six rooms at the high school. And we're also going to take on about $3 million worth of the HVAC issues that the district has and, and fix those. Funding for the district's security advanced vision for education or saved dollars will cover the high school classroom additions plus the HVAC work at a total cost of $9.8 million. Privia credits the district's patrons for participating in the survey. We had 333 people fill out the survey, which is uh, around 8% um, of the voting people. And it, it gave us some really good direction on 
we want to do something, but that scope was a little too much for us to bite off right now. Maybe if we pare it down a little bit, we can uh, get something passed and move forward, and then we can go back to the voters uh, at a later date to see if we can do a little more. In addition to the survey, a recently formed community group of 25 residents is helping the board and school officials plot a course for another referendum in the near future. That community group that had its first meeting We'll make a recommendation to the board of what kind of bond to go after, whether we go after a voted pebble or whether we go after a geo bond, a general obligation bond. So it'll give us a couple options there and how much would that bond be for. During its regular meeting, the board approved a 28E agreement with the state for the use of the former Clarinda Academy facilities for athletic events and other activities. You can hear the raw interview with Jeff Privia with the web story at kmaland.com as well as on our Morning Line page. Clorinda officials are getting financial support to bring a large air show to the community next year. Meeting in regular session Wednesday evening, the Clorinda City Council heard a presentation from Merlin Barr, who is part of a local flying group. Barr says the group was approached by Clorinda hosting the 2024 Fly Iowa event at Clorinda Municipal Airport in Shank Field. Barr says the event is held annually at airports around the state and is backed by the Iowa Aviation Promotion Group. It was hosted in Clarendon in 2005, and uh, we were approached by them to host it again here in Clarendon. And uh, we kind of put together a, a, a group uh, with the chamber and some pilots, and uh, Gary has been kind enough to help us with that. Uh, each year's show is organized by local hosts and includes a fly-in breakfast for pilots and a full-scale aerial acrobatics display. Barr says the local group is requesting some funding from the city to help with the costs of putting on the show. We're going to do a lot of fundraising uh, throughout the community, businesses, in and out of town. Uh, it's very expensive to hold these type of shows. Um, in 2005, I know the city was uh, integral in getting it done. Uh, and we want to, we would like to request $5,000 for this fiscal year and next fiscal year, if possible, to make a total of $10,000 to help facilitate this. In addition to funding from the city and local businesses, the Clarinda Foundation has approved a $30,000 matching grant to help with the show. In 2005, the city chipped in $10,000 for the show and helped cover an additional $10,000 in cost overruns. Steve Maury helped put on the show in 2005 and says the group is taking steps to avoid going over budget again. We had originally got our budget. Uh, it was We had to, to provide X amount of fuel, and uh, the price actually doubled on, on fuel between that time and then when you know we actually had the event right now fuel is about six dollars a gallon but so the equivalent thing would happen would be if it went to twelve dollars a gallon by next uh, next august which is certainly hope that <laughs> that would not happen mayor craig hill says he's in support of providing funding for the event as well as the in-kind donation of services in the city for the use of the airport he says events like this help bring people to the community Trying to bring people in and, and make it a destination. Uh, now, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying we need to write you a blank check. I mean, because it's not our money. Uh, but I do believe we need to do what we can to help promote 
our, our, our citizens and our, our community. Following discussion, the council unanimously approved holding the event at the airport and the $10,000 in funding split evenly over the next two fiscal years. Preparations continue for Shenandoah's Independence Day weekend celebration. Food, entertainment, and events are slated for a star-spangled Shenandoah July 1st at Priest Park and July 3rd at Sportsman's Park. Kicking off the celebration is the parade July 1st at 9 a.m. Natalie Kirsch is president of the Forum to Revitalize Shenandoah, the organization spearheading the event. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Monday morning, Kirsch says the parade lineup begins at 8 that morning. The parade route will be going down West Thomas Avenue to Maple Street, from Maple Street down to 7th Avenue at at the park. Kirsch says entries are still needed for the parade. We are currently still seeking registrations, and last year we had people that actually just showed up the day of, so I'm anticipating quite a few entries into the parade. Activities at Priest Park that day include corn and pie eating contests and entertainment from Head Over Heels, the Minahoonies, and Gas in Grass. Forum Secretary Stacy Truex says approximately 35 vendors are lined up for the park, including three food trucks. The vendors will be on the Maple Street side because of the new playground. Uh, normally we were on the Elm Street side, so we'll be over there. It's, it's just a wonderful setting for everybody to join in at the community. Other vendors and activities are planned for Sportsman's Park July 3rd from 5 p.m. until the fireworks begin. Anyone interested in entering the Star-Spangled Shenandoah's Parade should email revitalizeshenandoah at gmail.com. Vendors may contact Stacy Truex via Facebook private pay- uh, message. Work continues to fill in a small pond at Glenwood Lake Park with dirt. Meeting in regular session Tuesday night, the Glenwood City Council heard an update from Mark Hughes on a project to fill in the small body of water located adjacent to Glenwood Lake. Hughes says crews are roughly 60% finished with the work, and he expects completion at the end of this week, pending weather. City Administrator Amber Farnan says the project has been in the works for a number of years. The board has had this in their five-year plan for quite some time, because DNR had suggested we remove the lake, the small one, since it's not really... It's not. It was a man-made fed. lake. Okay. It's a man-made lake to remove that to help with the yeast population. So it's been on their to-do list for a long time. There's just some light wasn't there. Once completed, city crews are expected to seed the area with grass, with future hopes of either expanding the existing campground area or for the use as a disc golf course. Hughes cautioned the city to give the dirt plenty of time to settle before any large projects in the area. Well, dirt over time can shrink a third. Um, it's being packed somewhat by the trucks right. driving on it, but there'd be probably parts of the bottom that wouldn't be. And, mm-hmm. you know, my concern would be how long does a person need to let it settle if you were ever to make that a campground? Dirt for the project was given to the city by Hughes at no cost. At their May 9th meeting, the council approved accepting the dirt and paying for the equipment and manpower for the project at a cost not to exceed $15,000. Councilmember Lori Mead Smithers says she was under the impression the council had only approved the dirt donation and not the overall project. That was one of my comments at that meeting was I have a concern about filling that fund in because I know there is a lot of opposition. And so I said, I agree we should take the dirt, but that we need to hold off until we have a long-term plan as to what we were doing with it. However, Farnan, reading from the minutes of the May 9th meeting, confirmed the council had approved the project. Plans for a new career academy program in KMA land got a financial boost this week. 
Governor Kim Reynolds and the Iowa Department of Education Tuesday awarded Iowa Western Community College a $1 million competitive grant through the Career Academy Incentive Fund. Proceeds from the grant will assist in the development of the Southwest Iowa Technical Career Hub, or SWITCH. Based at the current East Mills Elementary School in Hastings, the CTE Bay Center will provide training for students in the East Mills, Fremont Mills, Glenwood, Griswold, Sydney, and Stanton school districts in a number of technical fields. Iowa Western President Dr. Dan Kinney tells KMA News the grant and SWITCH are important in growing Southwest Iowa. The exciting thing about this and working with the SWITCH board and after East Mills had passed their bond issue, which was going to have the ability here to uh, have some facilities down in there that was really centrally located between a number of school districts that allow us to bring some career and technical education programs to, to high schools into there. And so we're very excited about that. The center again is slated for opening the fall of 2024. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This has been a presentation of KMA News.